0: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. This is Podcast Mike and welcome to episode 11 of the Philosophies compilation series. Wrapping it up now, there's one more after this and today's theme again is What's Your Philosophy? Part 3. This is probably one of the main topics of the podcast that we hear discuss. It usually kicks off most of the conversation and I think in a lot of the other episodes of the compilation series a lot of the chats do center around philosophy anyway but like I guess this is a more focused version of that thank you so much for all the feedback uh we've been getting on the twitter account uh the the twitter is willosophypod p-o-d there's also an instagram willosophypod p-o-d uh you can go to tofop.com t-o-f-o-p.com if you want to hear any of the chats. In full, the entire back catalogue of the podcast is there. There's heaps of episodes. I think there's over 70 episodes with over you know, 70 guests as well. So, there's a lot of great content, which is the whole idea of this. Um, but today, you will hear from Phil McDonald, who also happens to be Will's neighbour, uh, which says a lot about the spectrum of guests that we get. On this podcast, you will also hear from Lauren Freed. But first up for today, it's Kelly Carlin. Kelly is a writer, and actress, and producer and radio host uh, based in the USA. She is the daughter of the uh, famous comedian George Carlin, which she talks about a little bit in this chat as well. And she speaks on her philosophy are to be a seeker of knowledge and live in the moment. It's a really great chat. Will's Comedy Show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is on sale now. It's called Will Informed. Head to willanderson.com for tickets and more details. But for now, let's head over to hear from Kelly Cullen.
1: It's literally the reason I asked the question at the start of the podcast is I like to see what people say because I suspected when I started the podcast that everyone will always fill it in with, I guess, autobiographical information. And and a resume.
2: Like you feel like you have to like put your resume out there so that you have some sort of, I don't know qualification to be someone who could talk into a microphone in a podcast. <laughs> uh, I
1: don't know. Did you watch the Republican uh, debate the other night? Did you see any of that? Uh,
2: I t- watched a teeny little bit of it. I watched some of them and not all of them. You know. So
1: I, again, I, I'm a bit the same because only, I only tend to catch them when I'm in America and I'm here when it's on. But I watched the other night and somebody has obviously told Chris Christie... Uh, that he, I think I believe he's the governor of New Jersey. He is. And, yes. Uh, they've obviously told him that he doesn't have enough recognition of the things that he's done, or whatever. Right. So in every single answer, it was like really like it was mesmerizing to watch because he would start every answer by like so you'd ask something like uh, so uh, Mr. Christie, what do you think of uh, ISIS? And he goes, Well, I was on a government committee for three <laughs> years between eighteen eighty nine <1889 laughs> and nineteen forty three, and like yeah. and he would just but it would be at the top of every answer. Yeah. And he would just like little bit of information here's a little bit of my bio group. here's
2: my expertise
1: here's my imdb
2: yes totally yeah. all
1: right well i'm going to walk through all those things but let's get to the question of the podcast and then once we've got the premise out of the way we can just get down we can talk about whatever we want we can just have the okay, conversation okay. Yeah, you know okay. all right so uh do, do you have a philosophy kelly carlin you know, that's a good question. Good, thanks. <laughs> good, I'm just going to edit that into the promo.
2: I think I do. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I do have a philosophy. Okay, what,
1: what, what is it? Uh,
2: you know, I mean, I, I, was, I was listening to your podcast and, and I heard you ask someone that question. And I thought, wow, I got to think about this. And then yet it's like, I feel like everything I do in my life is about, Trying to talk about this philosophy. I mean, I guess the biggest thing, my biggest philosophy is, is that I'm a person who is always seeking more information about everything. Like for me, being a seeker, whether Uh of knowledge or wisdom or experience, like that's, I I don't know, I, I, I can't stop being a seeker. Like I want to be like I and I've I've gotten to a point a couple of times in my life where I'm like, okay, I know enough. I know enough. I don't need to be seeking. I don't need to figure it all out. I don't need to fix anything. Like I used to want to be fixing myself all Uh the time. Like that was my big life thing was like if I just need to like heal my wounds and fix myself and then I'll be okay. And then I like realized, okay, that's exhausting and maybe I'm just this wounded kind of semi-broken person. That's okay. I'm functioning. It's working out, uh, and I'm not like horrifically anxious anymore. I had like panic attack disorder at one point, so like yeah, I needed to fix that. That's probably a good thing to fix. Um, so, and and I do reach points where I'm like, okay, I don't really need to like seek. I can just like know what I know. And I'm a little bit at that at my in my life right now, like because I, you know, I write about things, I talk about things, I have a a perspective on things. So you gotta like feel like you own something of knowledge when you want to say to the world hey this is the way I see it but I'm never satisfied I'm always like okay what's next
1: all right there uh, firstly I love it like this is you're totally on the same page as me when it comes to this sort of thing um there are so many things just already in that that I want to talk about but uh the first one is that idea of like uh going from being like a you know kind of a fixer to a a seeker and it's I, – I, I kind of think of it about like, you know, it's always like building the foundations of your house or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Now, if there is a problem – like if you think of yes. your life as like there's a problem, there's a hole there. You can you can just pave over the top of it. Yeah, you, you
2: can try for a little while. But
1: at some stage, yes. you're going to fucking walk and you're you know, going to go there's in gonna be in big the storm and like you you're going to fall through the floor yeah. if you don't do that, right? Yeah. But you also have got to think of your whole life as being like this foundation. So yeah. every day you've still built you even if you've identified a problem that you have to fix, that's about you building this foundation and you have to take the the good things, you know, as well, and keep adding to that foundation. You can't just worry about all the problems you have. You also have to keep building the house.
2: Yes, yes.
1: I mean, and I guess that's what, like, you know, if you want to extend that analogy a little bit further is that idea of going, well, here's the thing. At the moment, we don't have time to, or the money or whatever to fix that problem, but we need to keep building the house. Sometimes you need to keep building the house, right? (laughs) And sometimes you need to fix the problems as well. You've got to – and I think that's a – That idea of like life being this thing rather than a bucket that you fill up and then you'll be like feel like you've accomplished something, you know, uh, uh, rather it being this thing that you're constantly adding to and and that it is infinite because I think that so often we search for simplicity in our lives, you know, that's what why we look at religions. That's why we look at rules. That's why Fight Club yeah. was appealing to people. Any kind of ideology.
2: It's like just give me your rules. Tell me and and just tell me the rules, and I will live by those five things, and then I never have to think about it again.
1: Right, but would uh, be lovely. It would be lovely. <laughs> would I un- be. I understand why that's appealing.
2: Yes, but not. Real, right. Doesn't happen that it way. It doesn't
1: happen, and if you know anything about, you know what we know about the nature of the universe. The truth is, from a like, uh, I, 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 from a scientific point of view, I guess, uh, from a point of view of the universe, that everything we do, even when we're trying to make things more simple, by its very nature, makes the universe exponentially more complicated.
2: Yes. Literally
1: the nature of existing. So rather than like, you know, finding it paralyzing, you know, finding this idea that we are just part of an infinite journey onwards and we're just a a step on the ladder, you know, for someone else hopefully to stand on the shoulders of and and move on to whatever it is next. It's like, it it is a kind of a liberating
2: thought. It it is. Yeah. I mean, when you take uh, I was just listening on the way here to a gentleman named James Hillman, who's uh, the father of what they call archetypal psychology. I got my master's in Jungian psychology. And, and he's just, you know, he talks, he's, he was talking about taking the humans out of the center of the universe, you know, that when we put ourselves in the center of things uh, and we make ourselves the most important thing, that tends to make a very certain, the world look a very certain way and operate a very certain way the way we're living it right now, right. by the way. <laughs> and that when you do, when you really put yourself in the proper place in the universe, which is we are just one of a multitude of things, uh, it's very liberating. It's very freeing. And, but it doesn't take us off the hook in any way. It just it just takes the arrogance out of it, first of all, which I think is really important. But it does. It, it frees us to really be in true relationship with life and our life in particular you know i mean there's there's no such thing as perfection i think i mean that's another thing like that seeking fixing ideology thing is a desperate wanting of something perfect that stays the same and fixes but look at nature Shit's moving all the time and changing in every second. And it is our discomfort with our imperfections and this constant change that creates anxiety and all of that that makes us want to cling once again to ideologies and quick fixes and rules and religions and stuff
1: okay so a couple of things on that uh the first one i I want to put a pin in but like i want to get to uh, how that reflects in like you know contemporary politics and Mm -hmm. the idea of conservatism because i certainly think there is an an element of, uh, of, you know, uh, that in that thought of yes. like, but the other thing is that like, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently is that idea of like perfectionism, which is like something that you mentioned there. This, this idea of things needing to be perfect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would go a step further. And I think actually like, you know, when someone says, or like when someone gets hung up on the idea of not, not being able to do something because they're a perfectionist. Yes. Like that's in, that's your own, Arrogance, Like, that's literally your own ego that you need to get over in that moment. Because the truth is, <laughs> yes. like, hey, who are you to get something fucking perfect? Yes, you there's idiot. no such
2: thing as like, it.
1: Probably even the person who's best at it in the world, whatever the right. thing is, yeah. can't do it perfectly. Yeah. But you right. are beating yourself up because you're not the...
2: But And the thing is, perfectionism is an idea. Yeah. It's an abstract concept. It's not a living, breathing thing. So, I mean you look at nature and it's, you know, it's doing what it does. It's imperfect in every moment and yet it's perfectly doing what it's doing imperfectly. Yeah. And it, if it, it's,
1: C- if it's on CNN. It's on it's
2: CNN. Real. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that was the, you know what? Back then, I back got, then. You say, well, the yeah. only time I've ever thought yeah, that right. actually, yeah. let me, let me just preface <laughs> that. That's how <laughs> bad, that you were, that you bad times were. That's how bad you were. willing to trust. I was willing to trust CNN. CNN. Um, I ended up going on the internet and there it was on like, you know, entertainment tonight website or something. Once again, it was like, Oh fuck. And so, so I immediately knew this is going to be a whole nother beast Mm -hmm. because there's this very personal private grief. And then there's this other thing that's happening and people started, I mean, I've heard it, I've been hearing it for the last seven years. People say to me, I never cried before when a celebrity died, but I cried when your dad died, you know? And these are mostly a lot of cynical fucking people. Right. (laughs) My dad's That's, fans, yeah. you know, these are these are a lot of no, no bullshit type people who don't cry and much of anything. So I'm right. like, oh shit, they're crying. Um, fascinating. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, when John, you know, like a beetle got shot or something like that, Yeah, yeah. which is fair. I cried when John Lennon died, but, um,
1: no, they're they're George Carlin fans. And like, I cried when I came out for 15 seconds (laughs) and then I grew up and I was cynical about everything. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And I
1: said, who's this clown cutting the cord? Yeah. And then I was, and I'm done. And then I'm like, never again, never again,
2: never again. But, and I really realized, um, all that's happened to me the last seven years, which has been a that's a whole nother freaking lifetime, but uh, that with this book being done and kind of my public George Carlin daughter's life, I feel like there's a, there's been an arc to it these last seven years. Yes, I'll always be my dad's daughter and stuff, but I I don't really need to talk about it anymore. There it is. It's in the book. You goes whatever you want. There's, yeah. There it is. That I'm getting now time to personally grieve my dad finally. That I didn't really have a lot of space to do that. I was on, I felt on display. I chose to be his voice and face in the world Uh because his legacy is so important to me. So
1: that's interesting to me because it's not something that you really delve into in the book. Although it's like if you're reading between the lines, you know, it's, it's there throughout the book. Yeah. But that's... It feels like a choice in that moment when you're talking about it. It felt like you literally made a choice rather than – like, you know, like often we make choices in life, but it's a series of small choices that lead us to something. You go, oh, yeah, okay, I guess this is the choice I made. Yeah. But it felt to me a bit different to that. Am I wrong or is that what happened?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think it was was a choice. I mean, it's like, well, I could either disappear –
1: Yeah. Which would have been fine. Like no one had any expectation that you would that. Absolutely would have been fine. And
2: yet I had a feeling that for whatever reason, in my own personal growth or you know, whatever this path life thing is, that it was important for me to walk through this instead of around it. And this was the conversation that I ended up having two years after his death with Provenza. Provenza said to me. You know, because I had done a version of my show. I told some stories and played some videos of my dad's thing on a cruise ship with, with uh, Louis Black and, (laughs) and (laughs) right. That's how it all started. It all started with Louis going, come on the cruise ship. We want to have fun. I need a day event. Right. Tell some family stories, play some videos. And you, you and Bob, my husband Uh have eight days with me and Kathleen and Larry Wilma, which is an incredible opportunity to be on a cruise ship with these guys party, Uh have fun. Um, and, but I came home and people kept saying, oh, this is amazing. You should do this. And I was like, the last fucking thing I want to do with my life is get on a stage and be George Carlin's daughter and tell stories about my dad and everything like that. But Paul and I sat one night and Paul said to me, you know, this could be a really beautiful, brilliant piece of art. You know, as only Paul can can say, as uh-huh. people out there know Mr. Provenza. Yeah,
1: and he's a man with a lot of ideas. He's a
2: man with a lot of ideas and a lot of soul and a lot of heart and a lot of depth. Yeah, and um, and I knew there was something here as an artist and as a human that if I, and I knew and I had already decided to to be there for my dad's legacy, you know, and, and Paul said, you know, you could avoid all of this. And I said, yes, but you, you never avoid it. You know, I I could, I could pretend that I'm not him and never talk about him and all that kind of stuff and do it that way. But there was something about me going through it. I think because of my enmeshment, my background, all of that stuff, my only childhoodness uh, that I knew that if I walked through it as consciously as possible, staying grounded as much as I could that at the end of it, I would be freer than if I pretended I was free at the beginning of it.
1: I mean, I, I absolutely think that's right. And like, I mean, if you think of it, like, I mean, it gives us just to use today as an example of that, like it gives me the freedom to have a conversation with you. Yeah. that is about, you know, kind of the concept of these things. Yes. And, and you know, comfort in that sort of thing going, Hey, if anyone wants to know, like, you know, what Kelly's story and what her thoughts on all this is. Right, gone by the book. Yeah, it's really great. Exactly. I read it in one day. Like you know what I mean? But <laughs> it's, it's a page all in there. Turner,
2: it really is. You know, and yeah.
1: so you can yeah. absolutely you can kind of go. Well, that's there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to go over that. We can, you know, talk yeah. about. Yeah,
2: and and for me, you know, fifteen years ago, when I, as you, you, because you've read the book, I did this. I did my first solo show and ended up putting it on the shelf and ended up going to grad school instead. This, in some ways, has been a fifteen year arc for me as uh-huh. an artist and as a human, wanting to share this survivor story. So for me, it's like right now I'm in this really beautiful, strange place because. I've fulfilled a dream, first of all, an artistic dream, which is, oh my God, who? how many people on the planet get to do that? And B, I get to be in this interesting place of now what? Like the last 15 years, this story, even when I put it on the shelf, has always been on the shelf. It's always been tapping at me like, you know, I'm still here. You know, you still want to tell the story. You know, you still have a story to tell. And now that it's done, it's like, oh, there's a... I can feel like this armor coming off of my body and be like, oh, okay, let's, what's the real fucking conversation I want to be having now, which is partly the conversation you and I get to have here today. I'm, you I'm, know?
1: Uh, I've refined my analogy. I, I didn't quite get it right when we went with it earlier. But now that you've said that, I feel like I get it a little bit more, which is that when I talked about the foundations of your yes. house, here's what I think is the better analogy is that idea of like, you know, you need to get something repaired. Mm-hmm we all need to get something repaired. Yep. You, you can cover it up for as long as you want, but at some stage you need to repair it. Now, when you are getting it repaired, you can choose just to repair that, or you can choose to like add an extra, you know, <laughs> story to your house at the same time, you yeah. know, like, you know, yes. we'll get the renovations done and we'll, you know, yeah. also get blah, blah, and blah. You, and you move need, forward. you need
2: that master suite bathroom.
1: <laughs> I have to mourn my dad anyway. I'm going to have to have these conversations. Yes. And also here's a way that I can move forward in my life and create something yeah. and yeah. make something. It's interesting.
2: And have a a ripple effect. I mean, no matter what, you want to have an impact.
0: That one is from February 2016. Will Anderson with Kelly Carlin there. You can hear the whole thing at Tofop.com if you'd like to hear more. Over now to Lauren Freed. Lauren was one of the earliest guests on the podcast. This one goes all the way back to 2014. And Lauren is a business advisor, marketing strategist. You may have seen her on the panel with Will on Gruen uh, and she speaks about her philosophy in this chat with Will.
1: I'm terrible. I don't know what this podcast is and I really haven't thought about it Mm -hmm. because there's part of me that's like, I I need it to just find out what it is. Like, you know, I'm happy for it to just find out what yep. it is. But that means oh. that sometimes early on I, I'm really like, I don't know, when should I – anyway, people don't need to hear this. this. I haven't done it for a while and now I'm just telling them what's wrong with it. So, We're warming up. We're warming up. Uh, do you have a philosophy, do you think?
3: I do. I have um, – well, I have a real life vision for myself mm-hmm. and funnily enough, it took me years to come up with it and now I just accidentally live by it okay. just because that made it real. Yep. But the one that I, I've been talking about a lot lately is – don't make decisions at altitude.
1: What does that mean? So
3: on planes, uh-huh. you make decisions you shouldn't.
1: Oh, my God. You've
3: been on a lot of planes. I'm yeah. not sure if you know what I'm talking about. Like
1: the notebook is
3: sad, but on a plane. Oh, it's so sad. Oh, it's there is something
1: about being up there that like. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've cried at films mm. that I should not be crying at on uh, a plane. Yeah,
3: yeah. And there's people walking past you and you're crying and they don't know what's happening. <laughs> But
1: so notice no, dis- yeah, they're right. no, no. just walking by me, going. But you don't understand; they're robots in disguise. <laughs> oh, hang on, why is he crying at Transformers? We must be very high. Frozen's very sad.
3: Yeah. I watched it the other day. Oh my god! Happy ending, but sad bits. Yeah. Oh, spoilers. I, I make might- oh shit! If
1: anyone shit. who was going to that Sorry. children's movie <laughs> thinking there was going to be a terrible ending—that's <laughs> an amazing marketing success story. I was reading in the paper just yesterday about how Frozen's now become the number one. You know, it's the number one animated film I think of all time now. Wow. But. They've run out. The big problem, now, it's rare in marketing, particularly with a big thing like Disney, Mm -hmm. where this is ever a problem. They can't get merchandise out quick enough to satisfy the demand for merchandise. Jeez. Like, you know, parents, there's so much demand for frozen stuff that Disney just publicly said, we just did not understand how big this thing was going to be. Wow. Like they said, it's not a movie anymore, it's a franchise. And I'm like, now you've ruined it.
3: Yeah, yeah, great, (laughs) great. But all my friends that have seen it have seen it about 20 times. Like, their yeah. kids are obsessed. It's like a childhood addiction.
1: Yeah. No, I mm-hmm. must admit, when I hung out with my sister and her kids, they were all belting out some frozen, and I went, okay, this is <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> is, it's sticky. Maybe I'm going to have to go, I'll have to watch it on a plane. But no, that's a really good idea, because you're right. Like, But now, do you mean genuinely, like, at altitude, or do you mean that as a more, like, a metaphor, a broad sort of analogy for, for other aspects of decision-making?
3: I find that on the plane at altitude, Altitude, I make decisions, big decisions, yeah. life decisions. Whether I'm, you know, I've had, I've actually had breakups on planes. Uh-huh. Like,
1: who would have thought? Like, when the other person's there? Or yeah, no, no, they're <laughs>
3: there. They're there. Yeah, do they, do they need to be there? No. <laughs> it's usually important with. Both I mean, it's a page. great
1: place to break up too, because oh, then you're trapped next to them. Trapped. for the rest of it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've done one um, on the way home from Europe.
1: Oh, that's how far into the trip.
3: Oh, well, first, first sector
1: oh. is a long way. I mean, surely you've got to like at least save that for the stopover. <laughs> even, if you, even if you knew it was going to happen, surely yeah, you've got to be back. nice to each other until the well, stopover. Well, I had no
3: control, right? You just uh-huh. can't wait. No yeah. patience. No of patience. Course. But I make big decisions but, and travel for me is really – that is just enlightening. So mm-hmm. I have to usually get a plane to get to the place I want to go to. Right. Then when I'm there and I love to travel by myself, I'm just living – I just live in another world that's not reality. And therefore, I just see things really differently. I have different experiences that life gets a bit busy when I'm at home. But when I'm away, I don't even, sometimes I just don't even know where my phone is for a couple of days.
1: Like, I'm just totally a different person. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that is a completely different person to the person that you are in the real world.
3: Yeah. And it's not an escape from my reality, Uh but it's just, I take those experiences and I come back and I'm just a little bit. There's something different about me.
1: When did you first travel? Where did it come from?
3: Well, my dad's a pilot. Uh-huh. So we traveled a lot when we were kids, but we did a lot of America and Asia. But I guess the last few years, my interest has been peaked around different places. Um, I, I'm d- working my way through the seven wonders of the world. And I'm well, okay. loving it. Well,
1: tell me that so far. So what, what are what are the seven? well what, what have you been to out of the seven? I assume there's I've, seven of them. There are. The I know. I know. It's, it's leading. <laughs> they don't have like a bonus wonder. <laughs> now with eight wonders. Right. Now if you pay for all seven, get nine wonders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two extra yeah. wonders for, for free. free. Yep.
3: Yeah. 10% more. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so I did, um, I did Cairo uh-huh. and Petra. The Colosseum's on some of the lists and I just did the Colosseum.
1: Oh, wow. How's this? I went to Rome and I drove past the Colosseum and didn't go in. Well. Is that, does that count as doing it?
3: Oh. Uh, did not go no, in. No, I don't think so. Drove past. Inside's pretty important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't go to the Vatican City either. No. I ate a lot of pizza and drank a lot of wine, though. Yeah, me too, but I time. still managed to get to the Coliseum, <laughs> the Vatican. I don't like lining up I was just stuff.
3: in the Coliseum – oh, sorry, the Vatican a uh, couple of weeks ago. Uh, and my Italian tour guide, I thought maybe he was putting it on a bit because he was just going, oh, Loren, I'm going to take uh, you through uh, the Vatican. Uh, uh, yeah, right. And putting the A's on yeah, everything. Yeah,
1: it, uh, it was Mark Mitchell, Con the fruit <laughs> <laughs> I think he was Greek, by the way. In that, so that's <laughs> horribly racist.
3: But he it was it – was, um, and he just said to me – uh, it's Italian, uh, yes, uh, no, uh, same thing, ah. Uh. I went okay. So every barrier in the Vatican, he just opened up, and we just walked through. Oh yeah, right. So we had like the back tour. Oh
1: yeah, okay, yeah. that's good. So it's very cool. Yeah, so that that, cool. that is actually good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have liked to go. I just don't like lining up for stuff.
3: No, no, that's why you get a tour guide.
1: Yeah, that's Italian because they just push it. Yeah, through. I'm definitely like one of those front of the line people. Me too. Yeah. Oh, I'm just yeah. Or not go. I'm not. I'm certainly never a person <laughs> who like. I'm not happy to like. I don't want to push in front of anybody. If there's some like thing where I can like buy front of the line. That's what I'll do. I'd love that. Like if I'm going to an amusement park or whatever and it's like a front line pass, that's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. But I don't want special treatment. I want the appropriate, you know. Those
3: ones at Disneyland, you know where you go and you you get your ticket and then you go away for 45 minutes and come back? Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. And they oh. call it an express pass. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not really.
1: It's not really. None, it's just more appointments.
3: All. That's right. It's, a, it's a, <laughs> fun by you, it's appointment. It's a personal assistant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Essentially,
1: well, you don't get an express pass at all. You <laughs> get uh, you get Google update or something. That's what you get. <laughs> all right. So uh, so traveling online is interesting to me. Yeah. So. Uh, t- tell me what what it is about traveling alone. Oh no! So you were telling me about what you've seen so far. So you- oh,
3: okay. So I did. Um, yeah, I did Cairo, Petra, Colosseum, and I'm gonna aim to get to the Great Wall this year. Uh huh. Tried to get the Taj Mahal recently, but takes a bit of time to get a visa. Yeah, right. So I didn't get there, so okay. probably Taj Mahal next year. Rio de Janeiro. I think that's every one of them. Okay, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Why, why was it that? Why? Why that? Like, why did you choose that for a start, like on your little mission of things you're going to do? Why that? I've always had a dream, by the way, of watching Test Match Cricket. I've never had that dream. No. A lot of people haven't had that dream. Right? Yeah. It's hardly Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. (laughs) (laughs) speech. I have a dream. And the the weird thing about this dream is that it's very achievable and Mm -hmm. I've done not much to, you know, pursue it. Mm -hmm. I would like to watch Test Match Cricket in all the places they play Test Match Cricket. It's not that many places. It's like – there's, like, I, I would have to go to... I've already seen it in Australia and England. Tick, tick, right? yep. um, I New Zealand would be very easy for me to do. Yeah. South Africa would be reasonably mm-hmm. easy. The West Indies. Zimbabwe, that can get a little tricky. Touch and go, <laughs> touch and go. <laughs> Pakistan and India, depending on, you know, what time. But, you know, like, there's not that many places in the world that... But I have not, I've done nothing to, towards doing it. So I'm interested in the fact that you not only have said that you would like to do this thing, because a lot of people say that they would like to do things. So mm. I'd like to go and visit, you know, the seven wonders of the world. But yeah. not many people then just go, all right, what are they, and start checking them off.
3: Yeah. A couple uh, – I'll probably about two and a half years ago, I lived in Paris for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I lived by myself and I spent a lot of time by myself. Yeah. So you have every meal alone – You walk the streets and do things every day by yourself. And that's the first time I've actually really been by myself. Like I would have hated to get to a restaurant early and have to wait for someone. I'd be embarrassed thinking everyone was looking at me.
1: I think that's really interesting because a lot of people find the idea of eating by yourself terrifying or going to the movies by yourself terrifying. But as someone who spent my life traveling the world, mostly by myself, like most of my meals are by myself. Mm. And most of the times I go to the movies, it's by myself. And I spend most of my day by myself. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting uh that transition between those two things did you find it difficult at first or did you embrace it straight away
3: well i kind of had no choice so i just did it yeah. and i i just started doing a journal so i write in a journal and uh-huh. i wrote in a journal every day when i was away um, like
1: how much would you write
3: some days I'd write for five pages. Other days, you know, I could write thirty or forty.
1: And would you write as you go, or would you like? Is it well the sort of thing, or you'd carry it around and you just like yep. when you had a thought, you would write stuff down.
3: I am also did it around meals, or if I was sitting down, yep. because I reckon something with me is I'm really curious. And right. I, if if anyone ever read my journal, I would die. But if they did, there's so many areas where I go. I wonder. I wonder, I wonder, and I'm constantly going, I wonder why, I wonder this, about myself, about other people, about locations. And I really love that. Um and I try when I go out not to touch my technology. Mm-hmm. So like every Tuesday night I go out on date night with myself. So anywhere in the world, but in Sydney consistently, I go out every Tuesday night for dinner by myself. Same restaurant, love it, sit there by myself, write in my journal. And I'm usually there first and leave last. Like, it's not like I'm
1: just eating, like, I'm actually having a night out. Right, yeah. I mean, well, in that way, you can kind of take your time. Yeah, that's right. Like, there is no rush. You're not <laughs> no. on a. You know, you can just go, hey, oh, yeah, I'll start with a glass of wine and then I'm going to get something else and mm-hmm. I'm going to fiddle around here. No, I, I yeah. understand that. So, uh, in your, when you say you're, uh, you're curious, you wonder, where did that come from? Like, when you were young, did you have that? Uh, uh, like, do you have brothers and sisters?
3: Yeah, an older brother,
1: older sister. Okay, so you're the youngest. Hmm. So, did you were you curious for, as a kid, do you think?
3: I don't reckon I was. Funnily enough, we just watched a lot of our videos from when we were kids, uh-huh. and I was pretty cute actually. I was told I was naughty, but I think I was just it was just cuteness overload, right. and they didn't know yeah, what to do with yeah, sure. it. Yeah, but I think that only the last <laughs> few years have I actually gone life is ticking, Lauren. Like I looked at the last year and sort of in March this year I went, wow, a year has passed Uh and that's one unit of time. Now I might only have 40 more units of time and I'm dead.
1: Right. If you're lucky.
3: Yeah, yeah. If I do everything right. Right. I'm thinking, I really can't waste time. And then I've become, I'm very focused. I'm very focused on goal setting. But personally, I know that I want to have a lifestyle filled with experience or Mm -hmm. a life filled with experience and really deep relationships and friendships and doing it all with humility. And I know that. And I go, great, I know that now. Seven Wonders fuck wouldn't that be amazing right and I don't I don't want to be all talk there's been years where I'm just all talk and I don't want to do that I actually want to be able to look back at the end of every year or at the end of my life and go wow well that's an
1: interesting thought there's a couple of things there that I'd like to talk about the first one is that you seem to have these like key principles about how you see yourself now yeah um, so the first thing is, like, where did they come from? Like, how did you you yeah, kind of decide on those? Mm-hmm. And secondly, the, the bigger question is, how did you change from somebody who talked about those sort of things into somebody who actually did those things?
3: I think that the, the there was a real um, change in my life a few years ago and I went, I'm in this numb state. Like, I was... I I heard a speaker speak and they talked about uh, confusing pleasure with happiness recently uh-huh. yep. and it made so much sense to me because I was running – I was kind of a little bit numb to life. I had a, a, a smaller scope of emotion like the bad was all right. I just box it up and move on. The good was good but, you know, okay, of course I got good. Yep. So now I have this much, much wider scope of emotion. So the bad means hysterically crying and the good means I just go, can my life get any better uh-huh. than it is right yep. now? And I wanted that because that numb state was really
1: frustrating for right. me. The willingness – you have through. to kind of be willing to fail to succeed sort of thing. That's and right. And you've got to be willing to be sad to be happy.
3: Yeah, and I because
1: just was... one's kind of they're not the opposite of each other. By the way, there is it's a myriad of complicated things. But but you, you have you, if you're not allowing yourself one, I always say this about criticism and stuff like that, or like people mm. when they read stuff on the internet. I said if you believe the good stuff, then you're going to have to believe the bad stuff. Yeah. If you don't believe the bad stuff, don't believe the good stuff. You'll be fine. Like yeah. you know, but you, there's a there's a bit in between. Sometimes you know you've got to save that for your real life. But you can be too sorry. That was the point. whole the whole thing was you can get too closed off. You can start yes. to go. Well, I won't in. Like I won't feel sad when I'm sad, and I mm-hmm. won't feel happy when I'm happy because I've just left myself in this kind of safe tunnel.
3: Absolutely, and it's sort of like day and night. It just—it's going to happen, yep. and so you can just roll with it and go, "Oh yeah, daytime." Oh, nighttime. And I was like, "No, I want to have right. a full life." Uh-huh. And I was—I was single, and I thought, "Well, there's no—I don't need to ask anyone. Do you feel like going to Cairo? Yep. How can we squeeze Petra in somewhere?" Yep. It was just like, you know what? I've got three days. I'm going to Cairo. I was actually coming home from Paris and I went, I've got three days, I'm going to Cairo. Right. And I landed and I was on, like, literally from when I made the decision to when I was on a camel going past the (laughs) Great Pyramids of Giza, I was going, wow, it's not even 24 hours. Right. You know, you don't have to, seriously, it wasn't even 24 hours. I went, okay, here here I am.
1: From high altitude decision to camel.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) about 24 hours. I must have been sitting on a mountain (laughs) when I made that
2: decision. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, would you say then that, I mean, because you mentioned the fact that you were single, it, it was it some of the times those sort of life moments where you go from one thing to another? You transition from a relationship to another relationship or to like a job to another job or mm-hmm. those sort of things can be the moments where you have an opportunity to reposition your life? Is that.
3: Yeah, it's definitely for me. I've always been in a relationship. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I met my first boyfriend at 16 and then carried relationships the whole way through. Yep. And so when I wasn't in one, I went, hmm. And I'm sitting in Paris writing in a journal going, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to be? Yep. It was very amazing. I was like, no excuses, Lauren. You can do anything you want, anything. So if you don't, there's no one else to blame now.
1: It's just you. And how much of, because this is an idea that is interesting to me, you know, and like, I mean, I, I think of it a little bit like you do. Like, I mean, I just turned 40 and look, you know, chances are the way that I've lived my life. If I, if, I, if I get another 20 years, I'll probably be pretty happy. If I get another 30, maybe the last 10 won't be that flash yes. So yep. uh so I do think a lot about that idea of um, not only like, – and it was very nice what you said about uh, pleasure and happiness because I think so often that we don't give our permis- ourselves permission to ask ourselves or we are too afraid to ask ourselves, what really makes me happy? Mm-hmm. Not what should I do that other people think should make me happy. Because I'm – and, you know, I I won't go into it, but I've I've made a couple of career choices this year that no one else can really understand. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone else is kind of like, but you've got this thing and it's successful. And I understand that. And other people's lives also rely on me making those decisions. So I don't take those decisions lightly. Sometimes I think you make those decisions because you care too much about – you go, well, everyone else thinks I should be doing this. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should be doing this. Whereas I got to a point where I was like, well, you know what, at least for a year I need to kind of see if – I can just do what makes me happy. And the probably the, th- the biggest revelation was the other day when I was just pottering around, you know, the house after being on the road for three months. Like had not had a night off in three months. It was my first, in fact, nearly four months without one single break where there wasn't travel or shows. And I just was really happy. Like I was just <laughs> really happy. I should have been like tired or yeah. sick or like whatever, but I wasn't. I was mm-hmm. just like, I'm happy. Like I'm really enjoying myself. I'm sorry to everybody else who relies on
3: me. <laughs> <laughs> I had one you day probably, off. I saw it was just the one. Probably would
1: not be liking uh, this conversation, but I, I think that a lot of people, you know, they think, "Oh, well, everyone else is working harder, so I have to work harder." When maybe they're the sort of person who is going, "Yeah, you know what? I'd actually prefer two more hours with my kids a day, or I'd preferred, you know what? Gary in the office can work seven days, but I like playing golf, mm-hmm. and as long as I work hard enough that I can still play golf on the weekend." Or there can be a myriad of other things, like, you know, that you have other dreams or aspirations mm-hmm. or things that you want to do with your life. But I think so often we don't give ourselves permission to ask ourselves, what what genuinely makes me happy? And, you know, what what world do I want? Do I want kids? Do I want mm-hmm. to be married? What sort of relationship do I want to have? Do I want to have a relationship? You know, all those various and,
3: things. And you live, in a, you live in a bit of a different space to me as well, who lives in a different space to someone who's employed in a business, where… There probably is a little bit more choice around all of that stuff. Sure. And over Christmas I um I read the four hour work week. Uh-huh. and well, I didn't read it, I listened to it, which went for 12 hours, which right. would be three weeks, yeah, really, if I went by his philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I listened to it. Well, that was
1: three weeks of work for him.
2: Yeah, <laughs> That's it how he, it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, it's going to take 12 hours, I can only do it over three yeah, weeks. Yeah. Have I'll you not read you the month. title? <laughs> but I'd love just a four-hour
3: work day. Yeah. But he talks very much about all well, the things. I've I um, read it before, yeah. but what resonated this time was freedom of location, freedom of like looking at your life as semi Tired. Right. If you want to go and do a mountain bike might mountain bike ride around Mont Blanc, why would you wait till you're retired at sixty five? You right. can't do it then. Yeah. You're not physically capable. You might have shitloads of cash, but you can't do the mountain bike tour you no. want to do. So he's like, just make the time, work out what your life, work backwards, retrofit it back going, I want to live in this house and retire like this and work it backwards. And you might find you only have to make $300 a day. Right. But instead we're so hungry for wealth and creation of something that we don't even know what it, what size it needs to be. We just go more, 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 greed, greed, more, more. And so therefore we all work five or six days a week. We all take four weeks, holidays a year, because that's what society's told us to do. Right. But his book was really great for me. It was like, well, what's the end game look like? Work backwards.
0: Thank you very much to Lauren Freed, ToeFop.com, for the whole chat with Will. Let's finish things up today with Phil McDonald, a bit of a different chat here. Phil is Will's next-door neighbour who he met over the fence and uh, they had a fantastic chat. Turns out Phil is uh, quite an interesting fellow and he talks about his philosophy here. Enjoy this chat with Phil MacDonald.
1: Uh, today, you may or may not know who our next guest is, but this is how the podcast starts anyway. Uh, I say guest, who are you? Phil McDonald. Now, Phil, how do we know each other? Next-door neighbours. Hey? We are. Yeah. <laughs> I have just moved into a new house in Melbourne and Phil is my next-door neighbour, immediate next door. Uh, the So far, definitely number one in the friendliest of people in the neighbourhood. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, made himself known very early on. You've come over and uh, trimmed our communal hedge for me already, which... Yeah. Uh,
4: yeah, I knocked on your front door first and, and to see what you're like, and yeah. yeah, you're a nice guy, so I thought I'd cut your hedge then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, Phil, the uh, reason that I've got you on the podcast is we were having a chat out in the back the other day, and I discovered something absolutely amazing about you, and I, I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about that, but... As we've chatted more and more, I I feel like this tale is going to become more and more interesting because the more I'm learning, the more that I I feel like there's a whole bunch of things that I don't (laughs) quite know. So, uh, Phil, the way that I normally start this podcast is I ask people if they have a philosophy towards something. It can be towards work, life, love, anything, a motto of some kind, uh, you know, a a way that, you know, a philosophy through which people sort of live their life. And you strike me as a man who might, might have one or two, I think.
4: Well, I have got lots of things in mind, but I haven't really put anything together. But I thought, I went for an 18K walk this morning, and I thought, I'm seeing Will later on. I've got to get something here. So this is a little bit of a brief of what I think and how, what my philosophy. And you've got your will I, Phil, have got <laughs> my philosophy. So oh, how about I that? I don't like that you're coming in with all this good branding. <laughs> <food>. <laughs> but, um... Explore the unknown, risk failure and fame, share your energy and friendship because nothing stays the same. Oh, Phil, I love it. Good job. Well, so that's what
1: an 18K walk will do. It'll clear the yeah. mind, give you an opportunity <laughs> to think about something. Yeah. Well, let's start talking about why you were on an 18k walk this morning because that'll get us into what started me thinking about this conversation and then we can go more broadly but let's
4: talk about that first
1: why did you go for an 18k
4: walk this morning phil well i have in two weeks time on the 6th of may i'm leaving royal park melbourne and walking from um from royal park right up to carumba in northern queensland following the birkin wills route and uh and so I thought I'd better start doing some training. So I did a 10K walk yesterday and an 18K today. I'll probably do a 35 or something and probably Wednesday or something like that and another maybe creep up to 40 and then, um, then I should be primed. Then I'll give myself three or four days rest and then May the 6th I head off on 3,200-kilometer trek.
1: Now, firstly, um, I think that's more training than Burke and Will's put into it. So I think, well, that's, I think so, yeah. I think that's the good news. <laughs> and you did tell me, happily, that you're not going to try to come back as well. That's well, a mistake Well, that's exactly
4: they made. right. <laughs> they did do the, the complete crossing of Australia. And uh, why, why they were doing it, was, of course, is to see if they could get the um, the communication lines across and right through Asia and so on. But John McDowell Stewart he had left Adelaide going up the centre, which is um, going up through Alice Springs and so on, which wasn't there then, but he was finding a route up there. And, um, and Burke and Wills, they, Victoria, were wanting to beat South Australia. So um, while Burke and Wills are going up there, they were racing John McDowell Stewart, but they didn't know that John McDowell Stewart had come back. So they were going in ridiculous um time of the year they left they left melbourne on um the 20th of august then they left cooper creek on the 16th of december you can imagine how hot it would be up at cooper's creek on the 16th of december and they're going further north right up to the top of australia and that's going to be um, thunder and lightning it's going to be torrential rain it's going to be humidity it's just the wrong time to be there so they should have just given up them then, but as you said, yes, they came back. And of course they died at Cooper's Creek and they'd already achieved what they wanted to do is cross Australia. So I'm not going to come back. What, I'm going to come uh, back
1: what made you fascinated in doing this particular walk? What was the, t- t- Take me back to why you decided that you were going to do this in the first place.
4: Yeah, I, w- I, was, um, I was 15 year old. I I wasn't a book reader, but I found this book on Cooper's Creek by Alan Moorhead and Birkin wills you know crossing Australia and it fascinated me and I thought wow that's real adventure unfortunately it was a tragic adventure but it was something and uh it just I thought I've got to see that place so when I got a license when I was 18 um probably a year later I went up to Cooper's Creek and I went to Eneminka and Birdsville and all of these places and I nearly lost my life as well because I got stuck on the Birdsville track without any um and that was in the middle of summer but uh, yeah, so that's sort of how I got in, involved. And I thought I, I love Australia, and I've I've been around Australia quite a few times for for different reasons. And um, and then I retired from running a bicycle business two years ago, and uh, I actually I had a a coronary blockage, and um, I had to go and had a a stent put in my coronary artery, and um, and I I did rehab. And the nurse said to me, she said, look, you've got to do walking. You've got to walk every day. And I walked out of that hospital and I thought, walk every day? You know, I thought, what can I do? You know, I thought, well, a, maybe I'll do the Birkenmills track. So I asked <laughs> She was what, probably thinking just, you know, take the dog for a couple of laps <laughs> around the block, Phil, I think. <laughs> well, that's what it was supposed to be. But I'm a little bit eccentric, I suppose. And I thought, well, yeah, I could do that. So I had to come home with my towel between my legs and said to Susan, I said, Hey, Suze, I'm uh, I'm thinking of... and you know, I've been told to walk every day, so I was thinking of walking to Birdsville, uh, the Birkenwell's track. And, uh, and how did
1: that conversation go? Was she... Because she's going with you, of course. She's well, of course, your support. She's, she's my support. Yes.
4: I can't go unless Susan supports me right. and drives the car. We've got to have the car. We've And uh, she doesn't really want to be towing caravans and trailers and all that sort of thing, and neither do I. And so we've got the Land Cruiser and um, we sleep in the car, we eat outside the car, we've got a little awning and um, <laughs> and we set ourselves up there and we it's not much good setting up um, too comfortably because we're moving every day and, uh, you know, I'll be averaging 30 Ks a day but some days 35, some days 40, some days 20 but it's an average of 30 K and Susan is a very, very important part of that of that um, expedition.
1: Uh, When you're walking, are you just walking? uh, I'm interested in this because I walk a lot, but I'm a big uh, listener to things like, you know, that's where I catch up on my world. You know, I listen to a lot of radio shows and podcasts and stuff. And I tend to get that done as I go about, but what do you do? What's your, uh, are you listening to music? Are you in your own thoughts? Are you walking without someone in your ear? Like what's your kind of
4: method to get into the zone? Yes, it is music. I love music. My dad was a great pianist. My sisters a pianist. I love singing. I love music. So I do do li- listen to a lot of music, um, and I'm going to live listen to Will Anderson's podcast from now on because <laughs> that will pass a lot of time and very interesting. Uh, so when you're struggling
1: through that, I'm interested in this. Like uh, when you hit moments within these things, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that on this walk you're going to have some. Tough times, as well as some, you know, good times. How do you prepare yourself for that?
4: You know, mentally prepare yourself for that. I think I've done it all my life. You know, because as you say, it is mentally. You have to be mental to do it, <laughs> and really, you've got to, um, you know, your brain. Sometimes your legs get sore, or you get a. Just a couple of weeks ago, when I was doing some walks, I had a sore leg, a sore foot. And I pushed through that for about a kilometer. I was nearly going to have to stop. But somehow it goes away. And I think a lot of it is to do with your brain. And, and I've pushed my body all the time. And I sort of, I always push that bit further. And so mentally, I think I'm quite strong. And by the way, I was talking about giving up cigarettes and the next one was going to be up in Kosciuszko. When I got to the Kosciuszko, I'm um, getting off the subject a bit, but uh, yes, yeah, Susan pulled out the smokes. And, uh and here we've got photos of me but they were but they were lolly smokes you know <laughs> so I never had a smoke again after that anyway but um, yeah so mental you have to be mental and 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 really push through the barriers and and I've trained myself all the time for that I mean
1: it's a it's an amazing connection that you seem to have between it seems to be not only about the challenge itself but its connection to a story like that what that's what seems to keep coming up with me it's like yeah. you know I learned this fact about this or I you know connect, I heard this story about this person or I read this story about this person and what they did and I and then I had this idea that I would do this other yeah. thing yeah. which I think is such a lovely way to be not only learning about the place where you live but then sort of I guess practically involving yourself in I mean it's one thing to know the story of Birkenwills, Wills but another yeah. thing to be able to say oh yeah I walked that You know what they walked? I walked it as well. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing leap of... What is it that, other than the fact that it's something that you've always done, what is it that still drives you to want to do things like
4: this, I guess, is the question? I suppose I want to extend my life as long as possible and and push the boundaries. And, you know, at at my age now... uh, I think that I've still got it in me. I'll find out. I'll find out when I get out on that road. And uh, and is there
1: fears that, I mean, you think you've still got it in it. Is there fears from anyone around you who goes, uh, Phil, you're 72. <laughs> you're looking a little bit down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying. I'm just asking the question, yeah. <laughs> Phil. That, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there must be some friends and family. Or, or are they all just like, oh, no, that's Phil. This is what I am this I'm
4: is. really amazed. That nobody has ever doubted me right and i 'm amazed at that, and in doing the bicycle tours all around Australia and different places, we go to so many motels and we say, "Can we book twenty rooms or thirty rooms and very Very few people ever question that. you know they say, "Yeah, sure, you know you can book thirty rooms and and we don 't put a deposit down and and it 's the same i 've said i, I don 't tell a whole lot of people what i 'm doing, but um Really, nobody has said you're joking or um, get real. You know They sort of. They probably in their brain they probably say <laughs> idiot, dickhead, or whatever. But um, but no, nah, it's surprising that very few people show any doubt. And uh, and I have a lot of pr- I have a lot of um, praise for the people. They just accept people for who they are, and, and go out and do it if you want to. I mean that's that is the you know the amazing message at the heart of it isn't
1: it that you can actually just do these things yeah. You can dream something and then decide you are going to do it. Now, something that you mentioned to me just in passing before we started recording, which is <laughs> yeah. a whole other one, was you said it reminded of you when you wrote a penny farthing around Australia, and you just mm. dropped that as if that was just an incidental little part of this story. But I feel like, <laughs> Phil, that's something that we should be exploring a little bit more. So hang on, what, what did you do?
4: Is that Am I right? You wrote a penny farthing around Australia? In 1988, in the bicentennial year um have you got any time i can tell you have got time <laughs> tell me please i um you live next door mate it's
1: fine yeah yeah
4: well it's actually my um it was in the local paper i lived at lilydale and i saw a penny farthing advertised for sale as a as a in a clearing sale and i thought oh and i had a big 130 year old home up there and with a verandah all the way around and i thought i'll buy this penny and put it on the veranda it'll be good fun you know and so I went to the auction, and um, and here's this old penny. And I took three hundred dollars, and I was going to buy a few other things as well. And uh, went to the auction, and here's this old penny, and this, a lot of spokes had gone, and a few other things were not on it. And anyway, the auction came up. What have we got for the penny? A thousand. I mean, um, yeah, a thousand dollars. Thank you. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I came in at sixteen hundred. Somebody went to 1700 I got it for $1,800. And I thought, wow, you know, I've been stooged here because it was all over in a, in a shot. Yeah. And the guy that I'd outbid, he came up and said, I'll give you 1900 for it. I thought, wow, okay. it must be worth its money. Right, yeah. So I said, no, I'm going to keep it. And he said, well, we're starting, we're starting the penny-farthing championships over in, Adla- in, in uh, Launceston, in Evandale, next year. You know, you'll have to come over. I thought, well, you know, so I got on this bike and I, start, I had to have it all fixed up first and got riding it and um, that was good fun. We raced over in Tasmania there and then the guy said, we're going to have a bike ride from Adelaide to Melbourne. And I thought, wow, I would love that. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, I was quite excited about it all and, uh, and I found out that they're gradually dropping off and I thought, well, I'm going to do it on my own. Right. So I did it on my own. I rode from Adelaide to Melbourne in four and a half days. I averaged whatever that is, a couple hundred K a day or something.
1: What's your top speed you can get to on a
4: penny car? About 45 K. 45 K. Mm. It's a fixed wheel. Yeah. And there's no brakes. And you've got to be silly, but that's what it is. (laughs) And so I rode from there. And when I I finished, somebody said, I was being interviewed, and they said, um, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I could ride around Australia if I wanted to. And then I, I realised that that was not in 1986 and I realised then that 1988, bicentennial year, wow, I could do that. And so I got in touch with Rotary and I said, you know, I'll raise some money for Rotary. And they said, well, they, they did doubt me. They said, this is a bit of a joke, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, they they even allowed me to put the, the tail of the penny on the the rotary wheel you know the rotary uh-huh. wheel yeah i was even allowed to which was quite weird but but they allowed that i had to go through a bit of so i used that logo of rotary with a with a tail on it and um yeah and i rode i, I rode right around and raised over a hundred thousand dollars for rotary so how long did it take you to ride around australia <laughs> it was four it was four and a half months and i averaged about a hundred k's a day <laughs> yeah
1: and so what was the most challenging thing about that trip? Tell me, because that, I mean, that's a good example in some ways of, because it's about the same time period as what you're about to embark on now. Obviously a very yeah. different thing to do, but a, yeah. a similar sort of time period, right? Yeah. So you kind of understand what that, that takes. And if people think about this, I mean, this is months. If you think about what, you know, anyone listening to this might've done in the last four or five months, it's a considerable amount of time that you will be embarking on this project. So when you're doing something like that, which is, you know, a third of your year, nearly half of your year, mm-hmm. um what was the most challenging part of riding the penny farthing around Australia?
4: Well, it was probably going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the most dangerous hill that you well, went all down up the east there? coast. Yeah. All up the east coast, you've got all the hills and I and I'm fairly good at climbing hills. Oh, I, I taught myself to climb hills because you have to. And, um, but you've got one gear and you're standing up, so you're, you're sitting upright, so you can't actually stand up on your bike. You've just got to push. But when you get up, uh, as soon as you get up there, then you're starting to go down and you've got no brakes. It's a fixed wheel. So you've got to try and push back on the pedals. And you and I I used to say to myself all the time push back push back push back because you really have to concentrate and and you push back because if it let go it let's go or you can't hold it back any further then it will take off and then you will go very very fast so fast that you you know whatever it is so you've got to crash straight away because and and when I bought the bike by the way the guy told me that uh, you won't be able to ride it anyway and I said, how come? And he said, it's too big for you. I thought, wow, I didn't know they made them any different sizes. So, and the, I'm getting off the track a little no, bit, no, but um, but the, the seat it was on spring steel and the backbone went on an angle and the spring steel went out so you had suspension on your seat. So I took my suspension off and put the seat right onto the backbone. So I've got... I've got it right on the and a constant vibration, much more so than you'd ever get. And, uh, and so going down the hills and so also jumping off then, when you'd be sitting on the seat, you could reach back because your legs were longer and you could get this little peg and then you'd step off the back to get right. off your bike. So I could never reach that peg. So the only way I could jump off my penny was like jumping off a horse when the pedal was on its lowest point, I would jump off, jump off like jumping off a horse, see? And um, so going down the hills, if the bike got out of control, I can't even get off because right. I, can't, I can't jump off like jumping off a horse. So, uh, yeah, I had some very interesting times going down hills and I've got to, I've got to assess it straight away whether I jump off, and, but I like a challenge, so I would go down them. as, as And it might take me three quarters of an hour, half an hour to get down a hill because I'm going right. about naught mile an hour and I'm holding the bike back. And it uses different muscles as well, you know, than, than pushing. You're, you're sort of you're pushing back, and uh, so that was very tough. I suppose, I suppose that was the toughest and, and the most dangerous. And one time, I was I was over near Canberra somewhere, and I was going down the hill because we went in to see the prime minister, who did in front anyway. But uh, <laughs> I was going down the hill, and I'm and I'm really concentrating, and it was a long hill, and. Uh, I was going down and then and then a, a, a semi-trailer blew his horn. You know, good on you, mate. Well, it frightened the hell out of me and I, I lost my concentration and straight away the bike started taking off and he's going down the hill slow as well, not going too fast because of downhill. So I'm catching up to the semi again and I'm going to have to start passing him <laughs> because I could look down the bottom of the hill and I guessed, I couldn't see the bottom of it, right. but it went around, but I could see the landscape was levelling out. So I let the bike go, so and I'm probably doing 40 or 50 or 60 k's an hour or something, and luckily I was catching up to the semi, and uh, but anyway he'd sort of sped off a little bit anyway, so I got away with that. But it's pretty scary and very dangerous because if I mm. fall off the penny, then I've smashed my face, and you also got the handlebars right across your lap, so you can't put your legs out. The only place you go on a semi on a penny is straight over the front, and you'll hit the hit the And so what I used to also do sometimes is throw my legs over the handlebars and then let her rip down a hill that I could see the bottom. And then if something did happen, at least I'm off and running at about 60 (laughs) k's an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a safer way than smashing your face on the the tarmac. I mean, another safer way would... To not do it, well. get a bike, buy, buy a safe
1: bike that fitted you, well, yeah. and ride that around Australia.
4: <laughs> it would, and so they've never worked out brakes because if you have it on the back wheel, there's no weight on the back wheel, right. and you're sitting on the on the right on the top of that wheel because. And the bike that I've got is just about vertical, so it's a real sort of a racing bike. Whereas the forks on other bikes can be leaning back further, and they are safer to ride, and they're not as not as um, Vertical. So when I started to go down the hill, I'm really leaning back and holding it back. So, yeah. Apart from the hills, and I love the hills anyway. I love the challenge. And um, and of course, you're going. There's traffic all the time going around Australia. And I had a support crew. I had Dennis and Tiny with me, and uh, and also another girl named Kay who who did a lot of sort of um, setting up for the Rotary because I spoke at Rotary clubs all around Australia. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a fantastic thing.
1: It feels like this spirit of adventure, um, you know, obviously has been with you a a lot of your life. Like, I mean, the stories that I'm hearing from, you know, when you're young (laughs) to all these adventures, it feels like you have been enticed by the nature of adventure itself, uh, there is a question I always ask in this podcast and I I think it seems more relevant to, to this one than many of the ones that I've done, which is I always like to ask people about the idea of death and whether they think about death and whether death is something that you know worries them or is present in their thoughts or whether it's not something that they think about at all. For someone who pretty much you've just described to me for the last half an hour about 80 ways you could have killed yourself, I'm interested <laughs> in how you you clearly don't have a particular... Well, or maybe you do. I'll let you answer the question rather than me trying to answer it. Um, what relationship does all this have to death? Are you not scared of it or is this all some sort of, you know, big middle finger up at the universe at the very nature of death and I'll defy you and live as large as I can? What, Where does do you think about death at all? Has it ever been something that has been in your thoughts as you've got embarked on these adventures?
4: I have certainly thought about death and I... Um uh doesn't really frighten me. I I put as much into my life as I can and and I, I I'm very cautious in what I do. People think that I'm stupid and silly, but I think that I'm quite safe and luckily I have been safe. I have had a lot of luck in my life. I'm I'm sure that most people will say that. And um and uh I'm not really afraid of death and I know it's going to come sometime and I think well it's only greed if you want to live to 70 or 80 or 90 you've been greedy aren't you you're sort of uh you know and unfo- and i'm i'm not thinking about others then but um for yourself um you know, i want to live life and enjoy it as much as i can and i think i'm still fit enough to do a lot of things so i push myself and i don't want to die but um i've got too many beautiful people
0: looking after me and um beautiful people in my whole life there you go guys tofop.com for any of the chats on today's episodes that you may have missed or any of the chats you've heard in this compilation series there's one more episode coming out next week part of the compilation series and then we'll be launching a few more uh, dedicated episodes after that uh, thank you so much to Mike Howell in America for cutting these together, James Fosdyke for the artwork, and to all the guests on today's episode, Kelly Cullen, Phil McDonald, Lauren Freed. Uh, it was great hearing from all of you. Thank you so much to you guys for listening. Be sure to follow the Twitter and the Instagram, WillosophyPod. Uh, I think that's it. Like, subscribe tell a friend share it do all of those things uh patreon.com slash tofop if you'd like to donate to the show uh yeah i think that's pretty much it thank you so much for listening